Father, we just thank you for your love. We thank you for the fact that we are redeemed. Father, that that's how much you love us, that you sent your son to redeem us. So, fathers, we learn more about him today. I just ask you to open our hearts. Father, let your word seep in and permeate every inch of our hearts and our soul. That we can know it so that we can live it. Father, we thank you for your graciousness, who really was embodied by your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his holding a precious name that we pray together. Amen. Now, as you know, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Hashtag Jesus. And we're following the life of Christ in his earthly ministry. And as you know, as I said before, we're not doing this for a history lesson to find out more knowledge, but we're doing this with a purpose, threefold purpose. And that purpose is to know Jesus more intimately is to be able to follow him more passionately and to desire to obey him wholeheartedly. And to do this, we're actually studying the life of Christ as it's written in the four Gospels. And we're watching every aspect of his life and picking up some key things which really indicate who he was. And in those four Gospels, each writer takes a little bit of a different approach in his tact about talking about Jesus. Matthew talks about Jesus being the king. Mark writes about Jesus being the son of God. Luke writes about Jesus being the son of man. And then John writes about Jesus as the savior. And as we have studied together, we have seen through this that some of the stories and miracles and healings that have happened Some of them are captured in all four Gospels. Some of the stories are only captured in one or two of the Gospels. But that's because each writer had a unique focus as they wrote their book. And we're going to continue that journey next week um, when Ron is back with us. But today, what I wanted to do was to take a moment to look closely at one of those Gospels. Because we're studying the life of Christ. And when I look at the Gospel of Matthew, I find it fascinating on what Matthew does concerning the life of Jesus. I'm going to share that in just a second. But before I do, I want to remind you that Matthew, before he wrote his Gospel, Matthew was a hated tax collector before he became a disciple of Christ. And Matthew wrote his book for two reasons. One is to communicate to the Jews that Jesus was the king that they had been waiting for, that he was the promised one that was sent for them. The second aspect of Matthew's writing is that he, despite, in light of the fact that they rejected the king that was sent, Matthew reveals God's program for how he's going to draw people to himself in light of Israel's rejection of the king. Okay, so an attempt to convince the Jews that Jesus was really who he said he was, Matthew reaches back through the Old Testament prophets to remind them of what the Lord had spoken about the coming Messiah. And what he does is amazing because as he reaches back, he sets 10 anchors, 10 points in Jesus' life 
when you look at all of those things, they tie together from, the, from his birth all the way through his betrayal. And we will see that every single one of these prophecies about Jesus that Matthew writes is extremely significant. And each one is fulfillment that he chooses very intentionally. That if any one of these things, any one of these truths were to be pulled away or even questioned about Jesus, the claims of Jesus, of who he says he was, would crumble away. So let me, let me illustrate it for you like this. So Matthew writes about Jesus' life. He starts with his lineage and birth, goes all the way through miracles and healings, does all those things, ends up ultimately talking about his death, and lastly, about his resurrection. So obviously, this is over time as we go. And so what Matthew does at certain points in Jesus' life, Matthew goes back and says, okay, guys, here we go. This point right here, predicted by the prophets, this point in Jesus' life, predicted by the prophets, this point in Jesus' life, predicted by the prophets. So when you look at all this, you've got all this stuff going on, miracles and healings and teaching, predicted. Miracles, healings, teaching, predicted. Miracles, healing. So Matthew takes and anchors these points in Jesus' life so that there's no doubt. Matthew leaves no doubt for this Jewish audience that this is the king that the Lord has been talking about. Now let me set a little context before we do that. Okay, so how long did Jesus live? 33 years. Okay, the first 30 of those years, he was... He was Moved and shuffled, and then he started his ministry in his 30th year. So his ministry lasted three years at the end of his life. Okay, so we got 33 right here. Now, Matthew writes his gospel in 50 AD. So we start here, come out 50 AD. This is where Matthew writes right here. Okay, so we've got about 20 years or a generation from the time and events of Jesus' life to the time when Matthew is writing. Now on the old, on the prophet side, so the prophets wrote, the prophets wrote back here 700 years before Jesus was born. So as I look at the Matthew passage, keep in mind that Matthew is looking 20 years after the fact saying, hey guys, remember all that stuff that was predicted? It happened and let me show you. And from the Old Testament side, they're looking here and there's stuff going on in their life and that's why God gave them that prophecy, which I'll share with you. But they're looking 700 years ahead on when these events are going to happen. You guys with me? Okay, that's what we're going to do. So take your Bibles and turn to uh, the book of Matthew. And we're going to set these anchor points to look how amazing um, this is what Matthew does. And the first one, which we're going to do, is the one we actually talked about if you were with us on Christmas Eve. And that is the announcement of the birth of Jesus that comes as our Savior. And we find that in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. 
So remember, right preceding these verses, you got the dialogue going back and forth where Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant. Joseph knows he hasn't been with her. The angel wants to divorce her. The angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and says, it's okay, it's from the Holy Spirit. Go ahead with your marriage. And Joseph stays with her. In verse 22, we see that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So on Matthew's side, standing looking back, obviously about at this point is 50 years looking back into the birth, he's working in chapter 1 to establish who Jesus was. And we see that through his lineage, through his family tree in which he starts to paint. He uses quotes from Jeremiah. He uses quotes from Isaiah setting up who Jesus was. And in using those words, Matthew is stating, hey guys, this Jesus, he is the one that was promised 700 years ago through the line of David that would come and save his people. So that's what Matthew is saying. Now what's happening on the other side? We have Isaiah over here. Matthew was quoting from Isaiah chapter 7 verses, verse 14. Isaiah wrote that, and here's the context of why the Lord spoke that to Isaiah in the first place. So to set a little bit of context, Isaiah is about five years into his ministry at this point. He's five years in, okay? And the Lord tells Isaiah to go speak and take a message to King Ahaz, who was ruling over Judah at the time. Because you see that the Aram and Ephraim were conspiring and rising up against the nation, against King Ahaz. And King Ahaz and the people were nervous and they were afraid of what was going to transpire. So the Lord, in speaking through Isaiah to King Ahaz, he's saying, God, I know what's going on. Remain strong. I'm going to protect you. Don't worry about those guys. And to prove that his word was true, the Lord tells King Ahaz to ask for a sign to prove that this is true. And King Ahaz, shockingly, refuses to ask for a sign. So the Lord, a little bit agitated with King Ahaz, decides to give him a sign anyway. And this is the sign that he gives to King Ahaz to prove that he is going to protect them. And that sign was that we were gonna, the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son who will, who now show the, will protect the people for the Lord. So that's the context. You get that Matthew looking back and Isaiah looking forward. That's why it was written in the first place. So that first anchor that Matthew solidifies for us is the birth of Jesus. And remember, this is time from birth all the way through his death and ultimately his resurrection. We're going to walk through his life and see these anchor points. The second anchor point that Jesus gives us in the, in the life of Jesus, Matthew gives us in the life of Jesus, is that Jesus was called up out of Egypt to the land of Israel to perform the ministry that the Lord had for him. We see this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15. He says, obviously, Jesus went into Egypt because, why? He was being hidden from King Herod and the people that were trying to kill him. 
He says, where he stayed, Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I will call my son. So Matthew here is reminding his audience that God has been faithful in the past. He, he, he rescued them not once, but twice. He, he rescued them out of slavery in Egypt and brought them out. But remember, guys, and as predicted, he brought Jesus out of Egypt back into Israel to rescue his people. So here Matthew was drawing a parallel between the nation of Israel and his son, Jesus. Now, Hosea, well, so why did the Lord speak this through Hosea at the time that was prophesied? It was chapter 11, verse 1 is where we find this. And so during the time when Hosea prophesied, Israel, it was years right before Israel um, was going to be captured and taken over by the Assyrians. It was a spiritually low point in the country. There was sin ran rampant, idolatry was everywhere, the kings were out of control. Despite all of this going on, despite that the Assyrians were going to come and take them over, is God saying, you know what, relax. Hosea's words is saying, relax. God is going to be faithful. He reminds them at this time, don't worry about the Assyrians. Remember, God brought us out of Egypt. And what's better than that, he's going to send someone else to rescue us ultimately. So it's both a historical look going back, Hosea, and also looking forward, promising the coming of the Messiah. So we see that second anchor point is that Jesus was called up out of Egypt just as predicted by the prophet Hosea. Okay, the third anchor point that we see is that Jesus would settle in his hometown of Nazareth. Look at chapter 2, verse 23. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. So Matthew's use of the words prophets here obviously indicates that several of God's spokespeople spoke about the events of where Jesus would ultimately come from. And what he's saying in reality is that the root of what makes up that word Nazareth has, has the roots in like an insignificant beginning or a humble place. And Matthew's writing that because that he was going to come from this lowly, humble place, he's going to be despised because of it. And one of the places that we clearly see this spelled out for us in Scripture is Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. And there are actually other several Old Testament prophecies that really capture the essence saying that the, the coming Savior, the Messiah, is going to come from lowly and humble beginnings. We see those in Psalm 22, Psalm 69, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 53, and Daniel 9 are all places where we see to talk about the coming of, of, of Jesus into Nazareth, the Savior into Nazareth from a lowly place, from humble beginnings. So we see here, anchor point three, is that his hometown, the Savior, 
is going to come from Nazareth, from a humble beginning, from a lowly place. The fourth anchor point that Matthew gives us is the actual start of Jesus' ministry. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. It says, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have been a great light. I've seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So here, Matthew is identifying the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry by quoting Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. He notes, as previously predicted, that this place, Jesus' ministry, was going to start in Galilee, which is described as by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now Isaiah is looking at this, looking forward, again, is, is, is the use of the Assyrians coming back to bring judgment against his people. And he implores them that despite that impending judgment, despite that what's coming from the Assyrians, don't worry about that. There is one who is coming. And, and there is hope in holding on for him. And that hope is going to come in this place of Galilee. And that is where the hope starts. So we get his start of his ministry. We have Matthew Anchor. So now Jesus' ministry is anchored by Matthew. The fifth anchor we see in Jesus' life is why he came. We, here we're talking about how he came, but now this fifth anchor, Matthew says, okay, now let me tell you why Jesus came. And he came to be the substitutionary atonement for our sin. Look at Matthew chapter 8, verse Verse 17. Again, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. He carried our diseases. So when you think about that, Matthew is clearly identifying that Jesus did not come in a, as an earthly king. That's what the Jews were waiting for. They were waiting for this grand figure from this grand place that he was going to come and he was going to relieve them from this oppression from the Romans and he was going to set them free and he was going to lead them in war and he was going to do all these things. And Matthew's clearly saying here that he did not come to do those things. He did not come here to heal our physical ailments. He came to heal our spiritual ailments. He came to heal our sin. He did cure physical disease, but he did that to prove to the people that were watching that he was who he said he was. Now in this section of Isaiah's writing, he's actually looking forward, lamenting the fact that God's people are going to badly miscalculate why Jesus came. And he predicts, he predicts, Isaiah predicts that Jesus was going to be despised 
and rejected despite coming to save us from our sins. So we see here on the fifth anchor that Matthew makes is why he came. He came to atone for our sins. Okay, so we got those done. We're halfway through these. The sixth one we see that Matthew drew home is that the way that Jesus will go about his ministry, that he will go about his ministry different than anybody else, that he will do this in peace and he will do this in compassion. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 17 to 21. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to all the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. So Matthew here is indicating how Jesus went about. So we got the, 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 the why he came, the method of which he came, the how, why he came, and now you're looking at the how he came. That he came through peace. He came through compassion. That he was the one chosen by God to draw people to himself. That's number one. And secondly, is that he was going to accomplish this different than everybody else. He accomplished this through a peaceful ministry. He was compassionate. He, was, he, he wasn't bashing people. He wasn't arguing. He went about his ministry in a peaceful and compassionate way. And as Matthew quotes from Isaiah here, specifically chapter 42, verses 1 to 4, Isaiah is saying that the coming Savior will work differently than everybody else, and that he will work specifically for the Lord and do what the nation of Israel could not do for itself. And he is going to do that through peace and compassion. So we see the nature of Jesus's ministry was peace. And compassion. So how he ministered to us. The seventh anchor that we see in Jesus' life, that Jesus, that Matthew acknowledges that Jesus, the message that Jesus has is not for all because some people are going to remain in disbelief. And as Jesus shifted his teaching into parables, um, we see this in Matthew 13 is where this starts to, to take shape. Matthew 13 verses 14 and 15. I'm actually going to start at verse 13 because this kind of sets it up. It says, this is why I speak to you in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. 
See, Jesus is shifting the teaching in parables here. And, in, and the disciples, they notice this, and they actually start to question him. And Jesus, in response, quotes Isaiah, this Isaiah passage. And so what Matthew is communicating is that the disciples were set apart. They were set apart from everybody else. That Jesus was speaking in a way that the disciples would hear and understand, but those that didn't believe would not be able to, um, to understand. And see, Matthew's making the point that despite what Jesus was doing, the miracles he was performing, the messages that he was given, is there were people that still sat and watched and listened, that their eyes were closed, their ears were closed, and their hearts were closed off. And this is Matthew saying, despite everything that Jesus did, there were still people that remained in disbelief. So this passage that he quotes is actually from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 to 10. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. And you look at what's going on here. So why did Isaiah, the Lord, say this through Isaiah? So get this. So the, so the prophet Isaiah is standing in front of the Lord God Almighty with the seraphs. And the Lord is asking him to be his spokesman. And Isaiah, understanding his brokenness and who he is, it was like, God, I am not worthy. I'm not worthy of being your spokesman. And with that repentance, the seraph reaches out with a piece of coal and touches it to Isaiah's mouth and cleanses him from his sin. Isaiah, realizing what had just happened, that his sins were forgiven, he agrees to be the Lord's spokesman. And the Lord says to him, Isaiah, this isn't going to be easy. Your task is a tough one. Because the more you preach and the more you tell the truth, the more the people are going to turn away. You've got a long road ahead of you, Isaiah. And so Matthew is looking back and making this parallel between what Isaiah went through and what Jesus would go through, that the same thing happened to Jesus. That regardless of what he did, regardless of what he said, there's, there were those that were going to remain in disbelief. So that anchor, again, is looking at that point and that aspect of Jesus' ministry that not all were going to listen and follow the Savior. So some of it was going to land in unbelief belief, unfortunately. The eighth anchor point that we see Matthew really give us is really to identify Jesus' teaching style, which would be parables. But in these parables, he was going to use them to reveal truth about God, reveal truth about God's character, and is going to show God's character that's love, mercy, and grace. Essentially, the message, I'm here to tell you about our Heavenly Father who is full of love, mercy, and grace. That's the message that Jesus was giving. And what we see that is in Matthew chapter 13, verse 35. And it says, So was fulfilled what the prophet, what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Here, Matthew, including this quote of Psalm 78-2, he is making it clear that Jesus taught through parables 
in order to reveal truth about the Father. That's why he spoke that way. And it appears that Matthew includes this here, the stress that the Lord has always revealed himself, but now he is going to reveal these hidden things through Jesus, the Savior, and he's going to do that to display and to share God's love, God's grace, and God's mercy. Now, the psalmist who wrote that is Asaph. He was writing to encourage his generation, right? And not to forget God's works in our lives and to not forget God's faithfulness. And if you actually read Psalm 78, it's actually kind of a sad recounting of what happened to their ancestors. But it is also gives an account of how God delivered them. And in this opening part here, in verse 1 and 2, Asaph makes it clear that in his hidden teaching, these things, these hidden things will come out through parables. And in doing so, the Lord will reveal how God himself will operate through patience and love and mercy with his people. And as a result of this Savior, we're going to learn more about who God is. So we look at that. We're going to talk about that God is revealed. We have revelation of the Father in grace, in love, in mercy. Again, what's the message that Jesus is delivering is what Matthew is anchoring here. And in this ninth anchor, we see Matthew nail down the fact that the time that Jesus reveals himself as the king was predicted. Look at Matthew chapter 20, ver 21, verses 4 to 5. 21, 4 to 5. Now again, this is his triumphal entry. Think of Palm Sunday, the beginning of Easter week now. We're through Jesus' life. We're coming now to the end. In reading this, this is the stage that's set. Matthew 21, verses 4 and 5. This took place to fill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, up until this point in his ministry, Jesus had asked his disciples and those that he had healed to keep his identity secret. And if he wanted them to share it with somebody, it was with either the religious leaders or somebody very close to that individual that had healed or performed a miracle. But the time had finally come for Jesus to announce that he was the king. Now, Jesus obviously knew the Old Testament. He knew it inside and out. And Jesus knew the, the prediction that the king would be announced coming on a donkey. So, the, so Jesus didn't go to the temple and announce that he was king. Jesus, in fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9, enters Jerusalem on the back of a donkey to announce to the watching world, I am the king that everyone has been talking about, that the Lord has promised, I am him. 
when Zechariah wrote those words about the coming Messiah, here's the context. So what happened is he was writing those words to the Jewish remnant that had returned to Babylonia, from Babylonia after um, the Babylonian um, captivity. So remember, they were released from Babylonia to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. This last remnant that's remained, and they were challenged to remain faithful and to rebuild the temple. And Zechariah is, is, is speaking to them. The Lord's speaking to them through Zechariah saying, guys, keep at it. Just do, remain, keep faithful to what God's asked you to do. Rebuild the temple. Keep looking forward that there's hope. And that hope is going to go, come riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. So that's the context in which Zechariah is looking forward that that hope is found in there. So we get his announcement nailed down for Matthew. His announcement, he is the king. He is the one that was promised. And then finally, the last anchor point that Matthew sets for us is the reminder that the, the prediction that Jesus would be betrayed for a mere pittance and handed over to those that would follow through on his predicted death. Look at Matthew chapter 27, verses 9 and 10. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. And through this quote, Matthew again is validating that Jesus was the Messiah spoken about through the prophets by sharing the story of Jesus' betrayal. And going back and looking at the prophets, the prophets even predicted the price in which Jesus' life would be bought. So that last anchor point that we see is the fact that they predicted that Jesus would be betrayed and handed over for death. Look at those points. Look at that list. That if you take any one of those things away, any one of them, and Jesus is not the one who was promised to rescue his people, any one of them and the ministry of Jesus falls apart. If he is not born the way the prophets predicted, Jesus is just another guy. If he doesn't start his ministry where they say he was going to, he's just another prophet. If he doesn't speak in parables about grace and love and mercy, he's just another good teacher. But every single one of those amazing prophecies spoken about 700 years before they happened came true in Jesus Christ. That he was indeed the one who was promised to save us and restore our relationship 
with the living God. So you got to look at this and say, well, why are we studies? Why do we study? Why do we take the time to go back and to make those points? So what? And here's the so what. Guys, it's all about Jesus. We stand on this stage every week and we tell you week after week that it's all about Jesus. And we stand looking back in time, looking at all the things that he did and said and say, there's the proof that Jesus is who he says he was. And you should trust in that to restore your relationship with the living God. 2,000 years later, it was all about Jesus when Matthew wrote 50 years after his birth, 20 years after his death. It was all about Jesus when Jesus was here walking the earth. It was all about him. 700 years before Jesus came, salvation was still all about Jesus, the coming Messiah. All the way back over here, at the beginning of time, when Jesus was creating the world with his Father, it was about Jesus then. It's always been about Jesus, no matter what your point of view is, no matter what your perspective is. So if you're here, obviously you're here. Obviously you're here. You're going to find yourself really in one of three categories this morning. Right? This first category is you are, you're a believer in Christ. And you're in a growing relationship with Him. You're studying His Word. You're praying with Him. But we know that life is difficult. It's not 70 and sunny every day. You guys learned that this morning. Right? Life has storms. Life has cold spells. We lose our job. We get sick. We get cancer. We have family issues. We have relationship troubles. Well, we study this looking back saying, you know what? We're promised a hope. We're promised eternity in heaven. We're promised to be in heaven with the living God where there's no more tear and there's no more pain. And with that eternal focus that we know that we have secure, it helps us push through those times when we are struggling with our job, when we are struggling with our family. So you know what? God has a better day for me. I don't like this one, but there's going to be another one. And we have that hope, just as he promised through the, the prophets, looking forward. So we're encouraged by this today. We're encouraged that God promised this from the time beginning. We're encouraged in who he said Jesus was, and we can rest in the fact that God has us in the palm of his hand. Now, there's a second group of you that do have a relationship with Christ. But maybe it isn't what it should be. Maybe you've kind of strayed away a little bit. You've fallen away and maybe you started becoming more of the things of this world and, and being satisfied by money and your job and your company and relationships and all the other things that try to get in the way of what our relationship is with God. And for you, my hope and my prayer is that this is a, a reminder to you that just like they were rescued from the Assyrians, just like they were rescued from the Babylonians, just like they were rescued from slavery in Egypt. God is faithful. 
God hasn't changed and God's not moving. God is still in exactly the same spot and he's waiting for you to come back to him and restore your relationship with him. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've fallen away, he's standing there with his arms wide open. Nothing that you have done will make him love you any more and nothing that you have done will make him love you any less. Nothing. He's waiting for you to come back. And then lastly, there's a group of you today that have not placed your trust in Jesus Christ. You haven't gotten to that point where you're ready to turn your life over to Him. You haven't gotten to that point in your life where you realize and believe in the bottom of your heart that God sent His one and only Son to die for you. And my prayer this morning is that you look at what we studied this morning and that you see God's promises from the beginning of time that this was his plan. From the beginning of time that he was going to send his son to die for you and for me. For the sin and the mistake that we make every day, that is the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. That our brokenness has separated us from God. But Jesus is the one who came to restore our relationship, to atone for our sins, to put us back in a right standing with God. And if we simply surrender our life and believe in the fact that God loved you that much, you can secure your eternity in heaven with Him. That you see in this scripture that the things that you're trying to fill your life with, money and jobs and houses and vacations and stuff and savings accounts, is not going to fill that emptiness that's in your heart. That only Jesus Christ can fill that hope inside of you. I'm going to ask Kirk to come out. He's going to lead us in a song. In Christ alone. Because that is all we have in reality, is our relationship with Him. That it's in Him that we can be encouraged and have hope to press into the future and to press through our tough days. It's through Jesus and His faithfulness that we can return to Him after years of sinning, of walking away and turning our back on Him. And it is in Him alone that we can have our sins paid for, washed away to the point where we stand righteous, washed as clean as snow in front of the living God. It's in Christ alone.